war in Ukraine, drone strikes around the world, uh, you know, it, robot AI. One of those things doesn't quite fit. Uh, yeah, that's right. This is a futuristic film. Uh, this is the next episode of Geek Bites. And uh, I'm Rich. And I'm joined as always by Stu. Hi, Rich. Yeah, it's uh, it, it was a it's an interesting film. I mean, it's uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, this is one of, one of these Netflix surprises that we found, isn't it? It's kind of you know, I, I thank God for Netflix. Otherwise, this channel would be really dead. Um, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, it's yeah. I, I I think I saw the trailer just pop up randomly, and I thought, oh, we've got to try this, Rich. And I think it kind of ticks a few of our boxes. Like you know, we were loaded to drones and things. I mean, we can touch on the rest of it later. But yeah. Um, yeah, it should, should um, be quite an interesting episode, really. Yeah, so um, like you say, I mean, this podcast, I was about to say this podcast could turn into advertising for Netflix, but given we slate most of their films, <laughs> they probably won't be paying us any money anytime soon. Um, but yeah, Outside the Wire, uh, Anthony Mackie stars and produces, in fact, along with uh, Damon Idris, uh, Damson Idris, sorry, uh, relatively unknown. I've not seen him in anything before. Uh, and also, what's his name? The alcoholic chief of staff from House of Cards. That's the uh, one. So there's yeah. that. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's uh, let's crack on, I suppose. I mean, you mentioned the trailer and you said, oh, we should do this. And uh, I watched the trailer. And I think what's worth saying, just before we get into it, is it kind of made me proper nostalgic for cinemas because it's exactly the sort of trailer that would have played before an MCU film or something, partly because it's obviously got an Anthony Mackie link there. I think what they did with the trailers before MCU films, they tended to have all the all films which had all the actors and stuff in it, uh, shared actors, like you saw a lot of stuff for... Um, Chris Hemsworth or um uh, yeah yeah the last one we watched was uh 12 bridges or three bridges or whatever it was when it when yeah, it had uh, right. Chadwick Boseman I think that was before Endgame or something that's right yeah yeah they're obviously trying to get that same shared audience stuff but yeah I mean this trailer it was just exactly the sort of thing that you'd have seen before an MCU film uh and I'm sure it would have been um it, I mean was this I guess this says it's a Netflix original, but was it actually made by them or was have they just kind of adopted it as theirs? You know, the designers actually, or sorry, designers, the producers and whatever said, oh, we were going to release this through some other format, but in fact, let's just release it through Netflix. I don't quite know how this sort of thing works in that. I don't know. I mean, you've got a Wikipedia page in front of you, so you might know. Yeah, it's not um, giving me any clues. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, well, the search continues. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I don't know. I think... Yeah, like you say, we'll never know, but it might have been uh, aimed for Hollywood and then they realised, well, actually, no, you know, that's not going to happen. So let's just stick it on Netflix. Um, because, yeah, it, basically anything that Netflix put out now is just like, you know, if it's not featured anywhere else, it's like a Netflix exclusive or Netflix original, yeah. um, you know, but made by Netflix. So, I mean, to be fair... For example, one of our favourite series recently, haha, Star Trek Discovery claims to be a Netflix original, doesn't it, over here? But, of course, in... Um, the states it's cbs i think uh so, yeah. yeah and it's not not like we don't talk to people in america or read american websites and know the truth yeah. um but strange. <laughs> yeah but no, no one could be bothered to explain where, where this one came from so it just goes to show that it hasn't got as mass following perhaps yeah. or a mass mass hatred as potato discovery um, <laughs> <laughs> but right. yeah Anyway, apart from like riding on Netflix and uh, their things, um, where do you want to go with it, Rich? Yeah, one one sentence review. Um, kick things off. Yeah. Um, shall I go with mine? Yeah, if you don't mind. Yeah. So um, my one sentence review is three different films rolled into one. They tie things up at the end. 
just in just when you are wondering what exactly is going on or why am I even watching this uh, so yeah <laughs> that might give you some clues on what my overall view of the film was yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. I mean, uh, you might need to read the definition of a sentence. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's nice, concise. It kind of cut, does what it says on a tin. Um, yeah, yeah I, I get what you're saying. It's kind of, there was lots going on, lots of different, yeah, uh, yeah, lots of different storyline. Well, it's one storyline, but then lots of different places. And then this happens, and then this character happens and stuff like that. It's kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, and this guy was just thrown across all of it. But we'll unpack that in a second. Um, my sentence review is training day with an android. Fair enough, yeah. I mean, was training day a Will Smith film? No, it was um, Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was like this sort of um, embittered cop. First state, yeah. Yeah, so he, he was this embittered cop, which, um, you know, basically this um, a rookie joined him for his first day out, and then basically the embittered cop went off on a little agenda. And a rookie had to take him down, I think. Sorry for anyone that's not watched it. I mean, that's vaguely what I think happened. <laughs> it's a long, old film. I've never watched, to be honest, I've never watched Training Day. And I've never actually yeah. watched 51st State either. So, yeah. I thought 51st State was one with Samuel L. Jackson in. Um, and that's, I don't know, it was like, seemed like a, yeah, anyway. Basically, if I can imagine someone going to Netflix and going, you know what this film's going to be? It's going to be Training Day with an Android. And I, oh, I get it, you know. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Training day with an Android. Yeah, they're like, in yeah, a, why not? <laughs> fair enough. In Eastern Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In army army fatigues. Yep. Yeah, right, got it. Yep. Yeah, have my money. Um, but yeah, it's um yeah, I mean should we un- unpack these? Should we give our yeah, overall I mean, thoughts? One one yeah, overall thoughts and one thing about what I was saying about how this is multiple films mixed into one. Yeah, um, yeah. I'd like about halfway through I was watching this and you know, uh Anthony Mackey uh was running around. Leo, of course, Captain Leo, I think is his name. Um, he was running around doing stuff and I, at one point I was thinking right how would this film be any different if Captain Leo was not actually an android but just like a really skilled soldier I was thinking they're not really exploring this anyway they've kind of just told us he's an android and showed us he's an android with his shimmery skin and all that um, but that's not yet had any real bearing on the plot because he looks so human and he acts yeah. so human um, so yeah that's kind of where I was kind of trying to go for as to you know, on the one hand, it's just a very action movie, you know, super soldier goes and does his thing um, along with a audience surrogate in Hop. And then the other hand, the other second movie, I thought, is obviously, you know, oh, teaching a rookie uh, what's real life like on the outside. You know, you can't just sit behind there and model everything and stuff. It's actually real world. So that's a second kind of element of it kind of unrelated to the whole Captain Leo super soldier thing. And then the third element of it, which I felt like I identified was obviously comes in more to the fore a bit later is the AI discussion. Um, so yeah, I think they kind of felt in many ways like they were quite separate parts of the film and almost the film could have stood on its own without any of them. So it's kind of, it kind of felt like the film was not greater than the sum of its parts, not less than the sum of the parts, but exactly the sum of its parts. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. It's kind of like uh, often I was just thinking, well, does this is does he really have to be an android? Could he just be like a Michael Bourne type or Matthew yeah. Bourne or whatever? You know, and like part of me was even like that shimmery skin thing. It's just like was that like a, a re reshoot later on when I'm like, oh, this film's a bit dull. Let's just make him a robot. Yeah, you know, maybe he's just a guy that was had had a particular agenda. You know, and he realizes that by nuking half of America, people will realize, well, actually, 
you know, we should do, not do war anymore. Or I don't know, whatever, spoilers. Um, but yeah, it just felt a bit weird. And it was only at the end, like you say, they kind of alluded to the whole, oh, you know, you've broken my programming so I can now go off and do whatever the hell I want. Um, and also this whole thing at the end, I think we'll come back to that, come to that later, but this whole thing at the end about his agenda at the end of it. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I totally get what you're saying. It's kind of like, yeah, the AI bit was kind of, was that really necessary for it still to be an entertaining film? And I think, no, not really. I mean, it was an interesting thing, but, and it also, I mean, we've got a whole section on AI later, but it just seemed a bit of a jump from the gumps, which are kind of like these stupid Ed 209 Metal Gear things lumbering around, yeah. um, that are basically cannon fodder for the terrorists to distract them from shooting humans, I suppose, and also, you know, picked on by the army people. You go from that to Leo, who's this sort of self-aware, cocky, you know, um, you know, brash, uh, manipulative AI, and it's kind of like, well, hold on a minute, how did how did the, how did this jump happen? Um, anyway, that's just yeah, me, me waxing lyrical. Um, <laughs> cool, but yeah, oh, yeah. The first thing in my overall thoughts: Did Mackie's character need to be an android that felt shoehorned in? Um, as as it stands, he's just a human face of Skynet ish. Um, <laughs> So, I mean the thing. I mean the thing is as well. I think I think this was set in the kind of like the mid thirties, twenty thirties. So that's actually not that far away now. Fifteen years away. There is no way that we are going to have an android that good, um, but in fifteen years, it's simply not going to happen. You know, the 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 gumps. They're a bit more. Um, they're a bit more feasible. We. I think we could well have something like that in fifteen years. Um, but I think so. This kind of moves away from science fiction to science fantasy to some degree. Um, not to say that's a bad thing. I mean, who who knows? You know, we could get alien technology or whatever. It's not implied that it is alien technology in this film, but anything can happen. You know, how did you, we went from not being able to fly to landing on the moon in fifty years? So who who knows what might happen? Um, with with that in mind, I think, you know, it's quite an interesting, the geopolitical situation of it is, you know, quite interesting. Like I said, you know, there is a war in Ukraine, you know, drone strikes are a hot topic at the moment, um, particularly, you know, to, uh, with recent US elections. And one of the first things that President Biden does is obviously go and issue a drone, drone strike in the Middle East. You know, why not? Um, it's, oh, really? It's what they I, do. I, I wasn't even aware that that is what he did. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just not even worthy of. Uh, it's not even newsworthy. Uh, Americans yeah. bomb, <laughs> bomb the Middle East. <laughs> that's yeah. That's just basically like that's the Tuesday. Yeah. But um, no, I, it's just it's. I, I did. I mean, I've got uh, in the characterization. No, world building section later on. I've got this this whole idea of like uh, Eastern Europe on the brink and like you know. They're in the middle of a civil war and being torn apart by different people, different agendas, yeah. and the U.S. and Russia sort of playing a proxy war with the locals and all that stuff. I found all that quite interesting, and it kind of it was a nice, interesting setting for this whole narrative, rather than it being just stuck in the Middle East, um, which yeah, yeah. I think has been done to death now. And also, it kind of made it more, I don't know, I don't know, just probably cheaper to film. And I think <laughs> the writers and directors were Hungarian or something, so that helps. Um, so, yeah, it, I feel it made it more engaging, like, you know, turning up and it's a sort of a rainy place and like there's miserable people everywhere and there was communist architecture, yeah, uh, yeah. which I thought was great. I mean, I really gave you a sense of place. Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm just going off on one now. No, I mean, we can kind of touch on this now because I've got some points to say about that. Should we move on to, you know, kind of world building? Seems like a good, good yeah, yeah, and we'll come back round to characters and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, I mean... It, 
it's a good choice that they obviously they made Ukraine the location and I think some degree Eastern Europe does get a bad deal particularly the former Soviet states like the Ukraine um you know it's kind of if you ever need to smash up an entire part of Europe you know if you want to try and make it relatable to the west but you, you very rarely destroy western Europe you always go in on Eastern Europe or even Eurasia which yeah. some would say some would say Ukraine is more Eurasia than Europe but that's yeah. another, but, another but they debate really, they typically don't pick on Poland or I don't know Slovakia do they it's always Ukraine and stuff like that because yeah the ex-Soviet states yeah. but the thing is you know these places have had a history of getting destroyed um World War II being the prime example I mean I'm going to go on one of my favorite hobby horses now about how World War II was wasn't really about anything apart from uh Germany versus the Soviet Union um and really everything else was a bit of a sideshow um and when if i we, say that let's, let's illustrate that by i was the gonna fact... say if we had an audience they'd be appalled and shocked by now yeah, <laughs> well let's go let's go look at some actual numbers the reason why it was like that you look at france for example france got actually absolutely turned over by germany in world war ii and they lost about four hundred thousand people um civilians and and uh, soldiers combined um the uk as well lost about four hundred five hundred thousand people US about the same, they're all about 500,000 people. UK is about 1% of the population. The Soviet Union, on the other hand, in uh, and that included the that included the later war as well when we were liberating France, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the Soviet Union, on the other hand, through the entire war lost 27 million people. And that is that was about 12% of their population at the time. And don't forget that it was mostly concentrated in those areas like Ukraine and stuff. And those areas got completely obliterated. Um, Ukraine, by some estimates, lost actually 50% of their population in World War II. Um, so that's why kind of these sort of, it's almost going back to history to, oh, let's just roll through the post-Soviet states again, because they're always getting destroyed. Um, yeah. And to some, to some degree, you could argue that the, the fact that they got absolutely wrecked because they um, was arguably why they lost the Cold War 40 years later because they never quite recovered. Wow. I mean, <laughs> we could thank the Nazis for winning the Cold War <laughs> or, or for becoming a bit of a, a, a stalemate rather than anything else. Uh, I mean, A, I, I'm glad that we picked this film because it gave you a chance to geek out on Soviet um, you know, numbers. And Absolutely. also, yeah, and there'll be some psychology bits later, I'm sure. Um, but I think also more more recent culture, uh, more recent um politics you know ukraine does have a split isn't it there is like different divisions going on there um you know you've got yeah, like yeah. russia manipulating the government i think they've started blockading up um one of the like seas there or whatever to sort of stop any shipping apart from russia to have it so it's basically an inland harbor that they've created um by stopping well, it's, it's, uh, yes it's the crimea isn't it which is That's where it. this is actually set the crimea and russia's actually annexed the crimea um they annexed it back in it's about eight years ago now and you know the ukraine's a uh, associate member of the eu or whatever or got some sort of agreement with them and you know so effectively uh russia's kind of annexed part of the eu's gang and no one's really doing anything about it for eight years um but yeah so it just goes to show that this is the sort of thing that could it's a tinderbox over there it could all kick off there again like it did like it did 60 years ago like it will like it could arguably do yeah, uh, yeah. so yes yeah so yeah choice of ukraine as the location for all this is entirely feasible uh gives it a little bit gives the whole um gives the whole 
film a bit more of a realistic footing as such. Yeah, and it kind of, because they had access to lots of really interesting Soviet, um, post-Soviet or whatever architecture, that kind of, you know, gave it a, a whole, you know, like when we reviewed uh, Snowpiercer or whatever it was, you said the train itself was a character. I think the actual world that they were in was a kind of a character in this as well. It's kind of, you know, you've got those big, yeah, I don't know, like the, where Anthony Mackie met him and it was like a sort of old library thing and, and you've got like the decrepit tunnels and when he meets up with Euron Greyjoy or whatever, that looks like a quite an impressive Soviet structure as well. It's kind of like this, and the bank as well, all of those places kind of just felt of the of the place you know these and mm. these guys could, could have been running around some generic city or they could have been running around the middle east and it all looking to set you know this kind of just had a sense of place that you wouldn't have got from anywhere else um i mean what, one thing i was really curious about is why they needed humans there if they've got the gumps like it would have been quite interesting to see just a proxy war going on and the humans were just being there to sort of um you know, control them basically the same way that the guy was controlling his drone from back in the desert. You know, they could have just stayed behind the wall, the wire, and sent the gumps out to do most things. Well, suppose... was was that illustrated where where Leo actually diffused that whole situation um, in the street, kind of about halfway through the film? And even though, funnily enough, even though Leo was an android himself, he was kind of demonstrating why the gumps couldn't handle it themselves, maybe. Yeah, because they had that shoot first protocol, which kind of ended up with a firefight later on, wasn't it? Yeah. Where they um, sort of. Yeah, I suppose there is that, but then there's also the sense, and I suppose they also needed humans on the ground for um, what's the guy? What's the other guy's name? Uh, uh, Harp. Harp to to blow up two soldiers at the beginning. So if they weren't on the ground and it was all gumps, he couldn't have done that. unless the whole film wouldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, true. I mean, one thing I was wondering was why did he just blow up the building with all the terrorists on? Um, I mean, I know there might be collateral damage, but I suppose it's better if you're a US soldier, it's better killing a few locals than two of your soldiers. Um, it's, I don't know, it just seemed a bit sort of, or, you know, send a less dangerous missile to kill the people on the top of the building. I don't know. It just seemed a bit. Was, that, that whole opening act, it was quite interesting how I thought for a long time they weren't ever actually going to say one way or the other um, whether he actually made the right call. But then I think Leo at one point said, oh, actually, you were right. It was a rocket launcher there or whatever. And that was the first time I think anyone had actually acknowledged that it was actually the right thing to do from that sense. Yeah, but, but to be fair, Leo's judgment is quite impaired based on his actions through the film. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Was, yeah. he even, was he even just uh, saying that to kind of get Harp on his side a little bit more? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's, I suppose we can go into characterization now because that's kind of where we were sort of leaning anyway. Um, in terms of Leo, part, part of me is just like, he just seemed unhinged all the way through. Like, you know, at the end, there's this big sort of shock horror. Uh, we find out what Leo's agenda was. And when, you, when you're listening to that, you're like, I don't know whether this is just whether he's some grand schema or whether this is just BS and he's just he's programming to change it every five minutes for him to decide what he wants to do. Um, so I didn't see any sort of grand gesture there. I just thought he'd he's gone mad and it just kind of, yeah, it just every decision seemed to be, I don't know, oh, I'll try this now, I'll try that now. Oh, this is my reason for doing that. And yeah, I'm going to block the Western United States so they don't make other AIs like me because we're too clever and we'll just make war easier for you and we'll end up with a bunch of AI proxies fighting wars for people and there'll be too much death and destruction. It's like, so you're going to nuke millions of people to make that thing? What? No, why not just get as far as about to launch the nuke and let yourself be stopped 
um, which you sort of do. War game of, style, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um, I don't know. And like, will that really stop them? No, they'll just be like, oh, we failed that time. Let's make another one. Um, so if you're smart enough to machinate this whole film, you should be smart enough to spot the fact that they'll probably see through this. Um, and also, why did they create this AI that's uh, so, I don't know, can, why did they create an AI, AI to do psyops? Surely that's a human's job. Um, it just seems weird, a weird fit for a robot. And the fact that, like you said, he was more empathetic than the guards and the gumps in that um, confrontation with the rebels. Um, you know, A, like you said, this is unrealistic in terms of what AI can do. But yeah, fair enough, this is a fantasy film. But B, like, I don't know, you're certainly an American research institute. Like, what sort of AI do we need? Yeah, we need one to go out and win hearts and minds. Really? You know, really? Um, yeah. You know, I think it'd be more likely, you know, a super soldier might, which is the whole thing where he said halfway through, well, not halfway through, when him and Harp went off the grid somewhat. And he said to Harp, you know, oh, why do you think I look like I do? He's like, I don't know. And he's like, because, you know, if I was a blonde haired, blue eyed Aryan kind of hinting at Captain America, then I wouldn't be able to yeah. engage with, I wouldn't be able to engage with people as well as, you know, someone that looks like them. You know, so it's kind of like. Although that's weird because no one in Eastern Europe looks like Anthony Mackie. <laughs> exactly, yeah. If this was running around Nigeria or something or yeah. whatever, or even like, I don't know, parts of the US or England or whatever. But it, I don't, I suppose he doesn't look like a typical American either. So he kind of has that ambiguity. Could, could fit anywhere, maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. apart from Eastern Europe. Yeah, where yeah. they probably, yeah. But it yeah. just, yeah, I don't know. It, so that again makes you think, well, maybe the intention was him to be a super soldier. And then they kind of made him into an AI afterwards because they're like, oh, the super soldier thing doesn't really work anymore. We need another reason. Um, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, you can't have, I mean, super a super soldier who is perfect, perfectly em, em, empathetic as well is um, completely fictional as well. Because I think super soldier, you, you need to have that cold, cold steel to be an amazing soldier and i think you know some of the some of the training and stuff they put through put like marines through or spies or undercover agents that sort of thing i don't think that it leaves them with much space for empathy that sort of thing um so even if it's got to be something i think to some degree it's almost if you want a super soldier who's also got that empathy AI is creating one from scratch is almost the only way you can go because no real no homegrown human would have time to become an expert in both aspects. Maybe you could clone a human in some way and give them pre-existing skills, Matrix style, but that's a whole different film. Um, so I, I think I think definitely AI is one of the only feasible ways you could have someone with this both skill sets to, to I mean, the degree that to the, the degree that Leo shows them in this film. You're forgetting about Steve Rogers, of course, who was chosen because of his empathy. Um, <laughs> yeah, but again, that's kind of cheating because he was then given a magic serum. Yeah, he basically yeah. steroided up. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> the other the other idea I had was maybe he was like a Robocop, and it's kind of like you know they had this twinkly AI body, and they just slapped a human soldier's brain in it, uh, which you know, they, but they never really. I think when he's banter with the other guy, they kind of alluded to he was a program, he was an actual robot. But then there wasn't like any anything showing that he wasn't an AI. I just, no, he very much was leaning on the AI thing, wasn't it? There wasn't saying that he was part human and part thing. He was very much an android, not a cyborg. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, he didn't have like memories of his life as a human or whatever. He certainly yeah. didn't seem to have that. Um... But he, he even did Robocop though, until he sort of 
That's true. wiped himself. But yeah, I know. And stuff like, um, you know, when he's like having banter with Harp in the car about, oh, yeah, look at your girlfriend. Ha ha she's going to miss you. And oh, you're, you're a fraud or whatever. Or, you know, you wasn't, um, I don't know, just all that stuff. It's kind of like, hold on. So you can have bants with someone in a car. You can diffuse complicated situations. He can machinate and solve political problems. Um, I don't know. I suppose he's just come across as too, too perfect in that regard, isn't it? He can fight hand-to-hand combat. I suppose that's the point. Um, yeah. It works well for this plot. And um, I think that's the thing. I think we're, we're having a bit of a rant, Ryan, as usual. Um, but I thought it's a really entertaining film. I should have said that at the start. It's quite an entertaining film. You know, it had its ups and downs, but it was a good plot. Um, it was well acted, uh, good special effects, all that kind of thing. You had um you had the bit of the twist where Sophia, his um so Leo's kind of contact or whatever in uh the resistance to some unnamed I mean there was various different factions going on. I don't think it's really important to figure out what they were all called. It was just, you know, civil war factions, you know. Yeah. And uh she basically uh does a uh, does an about turn, doesn't she? Um so she uh I, I I kind of lost track of what was going on here, but she betrayed them in some way. Um, did you follow that? Who who did she betray him to? I, I'm not sure, but she. Were you asleep at the time? Or did you watch no, this? No, well, I was. I wasn't asleep, but she. Um, no, she. Hold on. No, she. Yeah, she. She knew that Leo was going was playing silly buggers, and um, yeah, yeah. So she betrayed the US, but yeah, she yeah. didn't necessarily betray Leo because her and yeah, Leo that's were right, all that's along, right, yeah. and yeah. her and Harp. She and Le- her and Leo m- manipulated Harp into kind of consent, consent, consenting to certain actions that she was doing, which she knew were illegal, and what Leo was doing, which he knew was illegal, in order to challenge the authority that Harp had over Leo, theoretically. That's right. Yeah. So that's something that you wanted to touch on later. But um, I mean, her character was sort of interesting. I, I, the whole running an orphanage in the middle of a war zone, patrolled by Russian gumps that have been kind of recommissioned. That was quite yeah. interesting. And, and you the, saw the kids playing with the decommissioned gumps and stuff. Yeah, and the fact that when, when Harp's looking at them all, she's like, oh, look at your handiwork. And he's like, what are you on about? And she's like, most of these people here are because you're drones. Yeah. I think that, that was a bit much. I'm sure like, the atrocities being carried out by the corrupt government and the rebels probably led to some of them as well. They're not just US drone strikes, unless they're dropping nukes around. Um, yeah, and then she's and then she's gonna go off and help Leo set off a nuke in Western America. So she's hardly uh, she's hardly all against any innocents dying. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I think I think Harp eventually gets through to her um, when when she captures him. The rebels capture him while Leo's off doing his little I don't know twist on Euron Greyjoy. Um, but yeah, it took a bit of convincing to sort of say, are you sure genocide's what you want on your conscience? You know, are you sure b- killing millions of people to make your point is a good thing? And she's yeah. like, oh, well, quite a few of us have died. Well, yeah, not to that extent. And we're not yeah. going to obliterate your homeland so that no one could go in there for thousands of years. Um, yeah, I think that was a bit kind of, as this film progressed, it got hammier and hammier in terms of the plot. It sort of went from, started from a sort of training day, you know, oh yeah, let me teach you the way of the world, kids, to basically being like machinations and a Bond villain-esque, you know, I'm going to blow up half of Western, you know, USA and whatever. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, which is fair enough. I think they sort of, they they ramped it at the right level. It wasn't, didn't just jump straight away. Um yeah. yeah, I mean, you think that Euron Greyjoy is going to be the big bad, and then he kind of gets killed pretty easily. <laughs> With um, a flag. 
Yeah, with a flag which is has got his um his symbol that you've seen all over the place in the whole lead up to the uh and basically anytime you see that symbol, you know, stuff's about to go down. Oh, okay, um, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Um and so he was obviously a big bad, but then Leo kills him and then you find out that's not actually what he's there for at all. Um he's yeah. got his own plan with Sophia. Yeah, you're on Greyjoy's basically in a MacGuffin. They've got to go find what's his face, and oh, I've got yeah. a lead on what's his face, and come with me to find what's his face. And when they finally find him, and and he knows that Leo's a ro- an android. I mean, how does your enemy know that you're an android? Does he yeah. just go to tell people, you know, um, you know, because they knew to send a, a guy with an armor piercing bullet. Also, the, the the sniper, like you had a perfect shot of him. Why did you miss? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I suppose for the plot to happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but um, I don't know. It was, I, I don't know. I'm keep moaning about it, but it was a really good film uh, compared to some of them we've we've reviewed. Um, I don't know what other sections should we go to, Rich? Um, so did you see? Um, did you see when he first meets Leo? There were a few books in place, and one jumped out to me, which was Henry V, um, which is obviously quite a famous, uh, well, it's one of Shakespeare's plays and it's all about the Battle of Agincourt and stuff. Um, but it kind of, um, so obviously once I saw that, I thought, okay, well, that's quite an interesting thing to throw in there. There must be some sort of uh, some sort of meaning in that. Um, so Henry V as a play is interpreted as always being about, um, about views on warfare um, and how Henry V's views on warfare, warfare start one end, you know, the glorious victory of Agincourt and stuff. Um, but then, um, but then after, so, and, you know, pillaging and stuff, but then afterwards, it's more about patriotism. Um, and whether, so this is a question about how this show actually treats, as this film treats androids. So was Leo actually reading a play in his spare time? It'd be an unusual thing for an android to do, I think. I'm sure he can just download it or whatever. Um, and was he actually, in fact, just having it there to make people who came in there think about it? I'm not too sure what is more of an outlandish idea. The fact that the idea that an android would actually spend time reading a play about warfare and about changing attitudes to warfare, um, about moving away from war player as a chance or warfare as a chance for glory to more of as a patriotic duty, which lots of people say is what Henry V is about. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I've never, I've never read it, never watched it, so I couldn't comment. <laughs> but you know, it's the um, book, and you know it's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or is it the fact that as an android, he puts it there to make people who come and visit him think about it, or am I overthinking it? And did the did the um writers the the producers of the film just put it in there to say oh you know if you're watching out for it this is what this film's all about it's about changing changing attitudes to war and what the purpose of war is and is it more about patriotism but if um if leo has read that play presenting that play as his viewpoint and yet he then goes and turns his back on what is supposedly his country not only his country but also his species for want of a better word he says oh my country my country has produced me particular species and as a result uh, that's i think that's bad so i'm going to both nuke my country use weapons of mass destruction against my own country for the purpose of destroying my entire species and that is kind of doubly anti unpatriotic you're going against the country that supposedly produced you and also your entire your entire uh, yeah i'm going to keep i'm going to keep saying species although it's the wrong word your your entire your entire species as well 
So how did he get that from Henry V to play? Was there any other? You mentioned uh, you mentioned there was a few few books. Was that the only one you identified? I think there was something about American history as well. Um, Whether whether that fed into it as well, um, I don't know. Him kind of saying, "Oh, knowing what America, knowing what America has been built on, maybe America's the wrong country to be given this power of having super soldiers, super AIs. It's all going to go horribly wrong if America's the one who has this." Um, I I I think they seemed more kind of generic. history of america type books um maybe there's some deeper meaning there i'm not sure i didn't i didn't notice them it, it, it makes you think a production designer and a director wouldn't ensure their books are in shot if they didn't have a deeper meaning yeah so i really like your idea of like uh, uh, what's his favorite leo reading this book and kind of you know digesting it and pondering it and then that shaping his world for you especially if he's only like three years old and he's basically been turned on to basically i don't know manipulate the locals in order to get what America wants basically I think that's my what is his intention was and to sort of do intelligence work you know for him to then have some downtime read this book and be like oh, actually maybe what we're doing is wrong yeah you know, war isn't of... about glory it's about patriotism but then it's... it turns him against patriotism no yeah it's bizarre I mean I, I, another thing that was in that scene where they met was this whole idea of him typing on a typewriter because it's the only way to avoid that like beat the hackers I thought it was quite genius really yeah uh, and I, I think, I mean, I don't know, but maybe the world is going to go back that way, that intelligence agencies have to have physical files because, you know, it'll be easier to hide that and make that Air harder gaps. to access. Exactly. Is that is that a real thing, Rich? Are you aware of that? Or have you Googled that in preparation for this podcast? Or Air gaps is a real thing. Um, I'm, I don't have any particular knowledge about it myself. It seems a bit excessive to sort out your security, I would say. But, um, but yeah, air gaps are a real thing in our particularly Ministry of Defence. Okay. You're not allowed to bring not allowed to bring phones into the building and stuff. I am not affiliated in any way with Ministry of Defence for the records. <laughs> you just know about this stuff from your. I just know about this stuff from spy no- uh, from, writing spy novels. Yeah. yeah, from from various sources. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, a disconnected network security measure employed on one or more computers to ensure the secure computer network is physically isolated. Blah 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 blah. But maybe the air gap is to prevent him from connecting to the world. So you, now that you've mentioned it that way, so basically they could have been shielding him from access to the internet and wider stuff to just get on with his job, because so, they don't really want him being corrupted by what he sees and what he's interacting with. Yeah, like, well, someone should have stopped him getting a copy of Henry V out the uh, out the base library. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, do you expect that to be an American-based library? I mean, must have access to Amazon or something. Um, you know, oh, I've never seen a copy of Henry V anywhere, and this is the home of Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, you go, Sarge, Sarge, there's no Shakespeare in the library, Sarge. <laughs> you know, hurrah! You know, if you don't need Shakespeare, you need um, someone. Captain Leo's just emptied it out of all the Shakespeare again. Yeah. He should have read uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. That would have been a more interesting film. <laughs> yeah, but that's why the other guys like he's not like he's not like you and me, Harp. You know, he reads Shakespeare, damn it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but um, no, in terms of, I mean, that was a really good point. I think, yeah, you've blown my mind for that one because I hadn't really considered that. I, I kind of just saw it as, yeah, he was it was some sort of generic super soldier that changed his mind and he made him a robot later. Or the robot was just a thin part of this whole wider thing. But the idea of a robot learning Shakespeare, I suppose Data did it in Star Trek, but it's more of a utopian version of the future. A slightly, a slightly longer, longer character arc as well than an yeah, hour yeah. and a half film. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, it's, it's quite interesting. Um, I keep saying that. Uh, so that was kind of one of the aspects of AI. I mean, 
anything else you had to touch on with it? So, with I mean, you had the paradox of command, which is essentially, if we want to move on to this quickly, um, oh, yeah. quickly, um, you had the paradox of command, which was basically saying, so this was a point where kind of, and this is quite hard to explain because it's a paradox, but Leo said to Harp, you're only, I, I'm only allowed to override your orders if I think you have, you have gone, you've, lost your mind or whatever yeah, you're, you're, no long, you're no longer you're no longer competent um but then he said but the very fact that you're going that you're military and that you lot have put that in and the fact that you're going to take out my fail safe is proof in itself that you're not com competent the fact that you've given me the right to do that shows that i need to have the right to do it i need to exercise it so that's the paradox in a way and does that actually that actually could extend to more recent stuff like for example the paradox command could be applied to recent events in america again with uh, donald trump and whether he should have been um there was the the amendment that they could they could say he's no longer competent and needs to be replaced obviously that was an amendment that was forced upon him by the constitution but by the same sense if a, if a president had ever done that and he would say he would say to them right he would say to his parliament sorry his congress he would say oh you have the right to you have the right to get rid of me if you think I'm no longer competent and they could come back and say okay well the very fact that you think you, that you <laughs> suspect you might not be competent shows that you are not competent you need to have absolute self-faith in yourself to be uh, to be the president and yeah it is a bit of a paradox um it's, it's like I mean we were watching this stupid thing about um suicide cults because you know why not um and one <laughs> of them was giving. yeah exactly I mean yeah I suppose we're all part of one now but they um uh, a lot of these things about suicide and like if if you want to kill yourself but if you actually do kill yourself then you can't go to heaven but if someone kills yourself for you then you can go to heaven it's just a bit of a weird loophole it's kind of like mm. you know so like <laughs> I think this couple and the guy really wanted to die because he wanted to go to heaven but he knew that he couldn't kill himself so he got his girlfriend to do it for him that's the excuse she come up with but it's just it's a similar sort of thing isn't it it's kind of like well but the very fact that um Leo is able to manipulate a harp into doing these dodgy things to disavow his command of Leo means that Leo's shifty in the first place. Leo yeah. should basically turn himself off. And basically, he, Harp was doing all this dodgy stuff before he even cut out Leo's tracker thing and Leo's managing chip. So all of that should have basically turned Leo off at that point. Um, you know, not because yeah. Leo was, and it's yeah, that because basically this is whole idea that Leo's the captain. But Harp's the human intelligence officer. So Harp in this world, this logic, according to Leo, who could be just talking out his bum, um, means that because Harp's there, Leo can go off the reservation. But if Harp wasn't there, Leo had to keep stick within the, the rule books. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just a bit of a weird one. And then basically Harp, no, Leo requested Harp because of the fact that Leo, Harp shot up, or blew up a bunch of soldiers because he knew that that's the best way to solve the rest of them. Um Ah, yeah, and that's why he thought, oh, he'd be more willing to kind of, um, you know, allow Leo to go off the grid because Harp would see that it's the responsible thing to do and it's the clever thing to do. But I think, in a way, Harp was just easily led, and Harp was a bit naive, and he was basically just tricked into doing all this stuff by Leo. It's not that Leo was, you know, Leo's his commanding officer. If he says, yeah, we're going to do some spec op stuff out in the wild, who's Harp to say no? Especially given he's never been out in the wild before outside the wire. Yeah, yeah and, and when you think about it, you know, Harper just got off a long flight 
and the first thing Leo says is we're off out you know yeah. he's not he doesn't know the lay of the land he doesn't know really know what's going on he doesn't even know his boss is a robot you know he, he didn't get the rule book or the briefing or whatever so for that to happen then him to be dragged off into the war zone um you know yeah it just seems weird that Leo's unable to machinate this thing in order for this well this film to happen basically but um yeah yeah, I don't know. Um, also, if you notice that Anthony Mackie is quite a wee little man. <laughs> He's certainly quite, like... quite skinny, isn't he? Um, and short as well. Yeah. I mean, he could still I... rough me up. But, um... <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure now he's got a big new shield to throw around. <laughs> See, I don't know. We'll find out. Um, yeah. I'm Googling his height. He's, he's 1 meter 78. So I don't we'll know what that means. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> out no that's not right one meter 78 in feet five foot eight yep i'm taller than him sorry i'm feet mackie i'm not um, <laughs> yeah he's not much taller than me though <laughs> no yeah i mean we still we could still take both of us even if he wasn't an android yeah, um exactly. <laughs> yeah but speaking of androids i think our next episode is probably going to be um uh, related to a popular Disney, well, I don't know if it's popular, but a Disney Plus show that's just finished. Yeah. Uh, and it's lots of Android uh, philosophical de- debate in a part of that episode. So. Yeah, yeah, we'll follow up. Yeah. Um, overall moral of this film, you know, like most, I'm going to claim it's this because I claim most things that's to do with this. It's all to do with uh, climate change and the antenatal movement. <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about that that logic about like um I don't know you got to kill a bunch whatever that logic is you keep referring back to a lot that um yeah you know, that philosophy Jungian philosophy or something utilitarianism I don't know there's there's some philosophy <laughs> I mentioned like, I mentioned so many different philosophies there seems to be there seems to be one that you keep referring back to damn it but anyway get oh, on with... oh no yeah Kantian Kantian philosophy that's, so that's that's more that's more ethics than philosophy all oh, right fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a type of type of philosophy. But no, this is um this is about it actually ties into utilitarianism, uh, philosophy, and it's about the anti-natalism movement. And you know, you've got some people in this world who uh think that actually humans are actually a blight on the planet, and the best thing we can actually do is stop having kids and slowly die out, or at least maybe get down to a level where um it's more manageable. But uh, that's that's not really that's not really the full. That's that's light version. Um, and in a way, this kind of made me that his final thought, which was right. You know what? As a species, I, as my type of existence is going to be bad for the planet. Therefore, what I need to do is wipe myself out and wipe out anyone else who will make me. Um, and yeah, I drew parallels in that with my mind with people who say, right, you know what? Humanity is again. You know, you've got the eco terrorists who want to destroy humanity because we're destroying the planet and if we destroy the planet, humanity is going to get destroyed anyway. Uh, so we may as well only destroy one of them, uh, which makes a twisted kind of logic. Um, so that's kind of what I thought it could be a commentary on that. And what role does Hart play in that allegory? Uh, he is basically the person who's saying, well, hold on. No, don't do that. You can't wipe out everyone. Let's instead try to do things better. Um, and how does Hart do that? he sends a missile to blow up the antinatalists and somehow explode a bunker with a nuclear missile and not set off the nuclear missile let's hand wave that away um and what he ultimately ends up doing is right you need to be shut down for those views 
uh, if you can't be reasoned with, I suppose you would say. Um, but those views are not palatable to society and we need to just move on from this and hope we get it right next time. Now, what's Harp going to do to try and make sure that um, Leo's predictions don't come true? I'm not sure. I guess hopefully we'll, well, we won't see. I don't think this will get a sequel. It'd no. be pretty boring. What I'm describing would be a pretty boring sequel, to be honest. Um, but, <laughs> It'll be a courtroom drama. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, is, is anyone going to learn anything from the message that Leo's put out there? No, because it's a message of destruction. Does anyone learn anything from the message of the antinatalists um, and what they put out there? No, because that's a message of something that goes against our deepest biological instincts, which is the instinct to reproduce. Uh, so while they they may have a point, they're putting it in a way, they're putting it across in a way that simply doesn't get anyone to listen. And this kind of ties into the whole idea of, you know, whether protests actually do anything. You know, people should say, oh, I'm not going to pay any attention to protests while they're writing, but until you write and stuff, no one actually pays any attention. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a whole, that's, that's a completely different conversation, but yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I don't know, that's, that's my view on it. I took it as a bit of a commentary on, um, eco warriors and stuff. So yeah, <laughs> I just throw, throw that one out there. Wow. I mean, that, that sort of explains why I thought he was just, um, off his head. Um, I don't know. It was just, it, to me, it just felt like one minute he's saying one thing like, oh, we're going to stop the guy having the nukes in the next minute. It's like, I'm going to blow stuff up because I don't know, they're warmer. Like the, the reason he gave Sophia or whatever, the, the woman rebel, he's just like, well, I'm going to help you guys stop the US from interfering in your business and show them that they shouldn't be, you know, that it's not right to meddle with other people's affairs. That was another reason he gave. Then it's just like, oh no, this, we don't want any more AIs. And I just thought, because he had so many eclectic reasons for doing it, that's why I thought none of them were the true reason. And he was just, sort of his programming was going all over the place. Um, but I suppose if you're aware of those movements, you can kind of relate what he said, the, the last reason he gave with that, because obviously it does make a lot of sense. But I mean, maybe that's what the directors and writers were going for, but I think it might have just been his programming flipping and God knows what was going through his head. Yeah. Um, you, know, or, you know, you've made your point. You don't need to kill millions and millions of people. Um, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's interesting how much philosophical juice you can get out of uh, our and 40 minute um, action movie. I mean, to be fair, I, I kind of, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like, I don't think Harp learned much from this film. I don't think he really developed much either. He just seemed to, things happened to him. And also there's a bit, I'm going to go off on a little logical run. Leo had like a, probably about a couple of hours head start to try and get to the nuclear base. Um, Harp was captured by rebels for an indeterminate amount of time. He then walked back to the US base. He then had to get his mate to get find Leo's car. He then, he then got in a car and drove after Leo but managed to find Leo just after Leo arrived. It's like... It was all kind of a bit final season of Game of Thrones, wasn't it? Everything was suddenly just up the road from each other. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, oh yeah, Winterfell's fallen. Oh, now we're at night. I think King's Landing, and we didn't march for months instead. And yeah, it was kind of like, you know, how did he walk home for a war zone? How did he drive for a war zone? Blah, blah, blah. I, I mean, the evolution of his relationship with the, the army bloke whose men he blew up, that was quite interesting. And the fact that when he got yeah, to yeah. base, the guys uh, basically tried to beat the hell out of him because of the fact he killed some of their comrades. That was quite good. So yeah. I think that those sort of relationships were there. And those, those characters and the actors played them quite well. Um, yeah. Quite a gritty representation of how possibly drone pilots are seen by uh, soldiers. You know, they're kind of, they're kind, they 
have they think they know what things are like on the ground um but the soldiers on the ground know that they really don't so yeah it's like i said that's could be a whole film in itself yeah and as you like talked about philosophy and their stuff and we might have a couple of minutes what's your take on the whole kill two to save a platoon versus don't get involved and let the platoon sort themselves out yeah i mean that's the whole trolley problem isn't it um do you do you switch the tracks to save um six people instead of and but kill one person in the process i mean it's slightly different than that because i think the implication was that all all of them were going to die or what harp did was kill just two of them um but then the soldiers obviously had a different view um i mean again this goes back to utilitarianism which is basically you should do you should do the um you should do the action which brings the most degree of positive outcome to the world uh, now where utilitarianism always falls down is no one can agree on how to measure positive outcome uh, some people say it's happiness some people say it's overall production in the world some people say it's money um but yeah some if you're if you're utilitarianism philosophy you need to basically say um it's basically come up with some measure of good good outcomes um and i think in this case you know you had you, it's unquestionably saving 34 soldiers and losing two is better than losing all 36 um but it just comes to that down to the calculation of it um it was more about more about a question of judgment than ethics i don't think anyone would question it i think the soldiers only question was you know we could have saved them um and if this if this was a different kind of film they probably could have but it seemed pretty clear and maybe we just saw it this way because we were we were we were primed by the film to side with harp it seemed pretty clear that saving those two soldiers wasn't going to happen um if it was a film where the grunts the grunt soldiers were the main focus i'm sure they would have pulled something out of the bag to make it happen if it was yeah. a, if it was you know a saving private ryan film or something um but it wasn't and therefore uh, the call that harp made was the right one because he had plot armor on his sides <laughs> I mean, you mentioned there about the calculation that he had to make, and that led me to one one theory I had, which was debunked. Mm. But basically, the idea that what if Hart was the next generation of this AI, mm. and they basically sent him into the field with Leo to train him up in what their AI is meant to be doing? Because wow. um, yeah, that would have been matrixes within matrix. Yeah, yeah, because that would have been quite meta. Because basically, Harp doesn't know he's an AI, and so this AI is basically showing him the ropes and trying to it, test him out, sort of see whether he gets it, blah 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 blah. I mean, that would have been an interesting thing to sort of see whether even even at the end, Harp could realise he's an AI, and Leo's like, we need to stop there being more of us, sort of thing. That would have been much more dynamic than oh, I'm just going to blow you up and run away, um, and still manage to get away before the bomb goes. Um, but yeah, um, going back to your utilitarianism, it reminds me of Spock. You know, the needs of the many, or it needs of a few or the one. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's that's almost the core tenet of utilitarianism. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think I've been fighting for things to say about this film for the last ten minutes. So maybe <laughs> maybe I should call it. Unless you've got more philosophy to hit us with. No, no. Um, let's uh, let's call it there. Um, but I think. So yeah, I mean, thanks for thanks for joining me for this one. But I think uh, what we, what we have to do now is obviously I've been rambling a lot, and it shows that my program is gone. So I'm just going to set off, and you can blow up East London, basically. So uh, yeah, peace out, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks, Rich. And uh, <laughs> uh, air, ride, oh, but, air raid sirens going off. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> by the way, uh, do you want to try this VR fighting game where you can feel everything? I hear you can fight a polar bear. Sure, why not? <laughs>
right. Yeah, catch you next time on Geek Bites. On your left. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> on your left, cat.